Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our study during this time of worship. Our theme for today has been and is God's will. I don't think you could have picked a better song to describe the things that we've been going through in 2020 and that fit with the topic that I want us to spend our time with tonight. This is a continuation of our morning study as we notice that it is God's will for us to pursue what is best for us. And it is understanding or knowing that that is God's will, none of us has a problem with that. We accept it. That's exactly right. But whenever you talk about or bring up the subject of the will of God, a number of questions arise, a number of thoughts come to mind because it's not an easy topic. And so I want us tonight to finish our theme of the day in this discussion and understanding better the will of God. Now I will say this to our audio video people. I had a PowerPoint screen and I don't see it of course, but there it is. You can leave it right there and on the outline at point two is where it will start. So uh, just know that. And for those of you online who are watching and wanting to see the PowerPoint, that's what's going to happen. But I want you to notice the text before us, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. If you'll just leave your Bibles open to that passage, it is the passage that concludes the context that we were dealing with this morning. God telling us that it is His will to pursue what is good for us. Now we see that we're going to learn that God has for us what is best for us. We're going to look at it from that standpoint. First of all, it is in fact a, a good topic to talk about the will of God. When someone brings up the will of God in discussion, it always raises all kinds of questions. And we have all kinds of ideas. Let's think of a couple. Number one, Every one of us, I think, accepts that there is a will of God. And that His will is what it is, and it is firm and solid, and we believe in it. Well, look at James chapter 4, starting in about verse number 12. And James writing there said, Come now, you who say... Tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and buy and sell and get gain or profit. But you do not know what is on tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Whereas you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, we accept that God has said that we ought to say, if the Lord wills. I've said before, and I am trying to use that phrase more in my language. Whenever I'm talking about what's going to happen tomorrow, I want to say, 
if the Lord wills. I think it's a great way, a good habit to get into to characterize tomorrow and all of tomorrows with the phrase, if the Lord wills. Because we believe in the will of the Lord. We want to do the will of the Lord. Therefore, number two, we pray for the will of the Lord. In the prayer that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6, that prayer that is so famous, and it begins with these words, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was not expecting that every single person in the future would pray the very words that the whole prayer says. But he was expecting that the attitudes, the ideas, the principles ingrained in that prayer would be a part of our prayer life. And therefore, he wants us to pray that the Lord's will is going to be done. Now, we might even say, but now wait a minute. How can I affect the will of God through my prayers? It's going to be done. See, we believe in the will of God. We pray for the will of God. But that's just not enough. I know it's not enough because sometimes I don't think it's enough either. And I rather doubt you think it's enough. Meaning, not all the questions have been answered. For instance, how come... I can't see it. He says his will is being done. Sometimes I just don't see it. It's hard to see. I can't figure it out. Because what I want is more specificity. I want God to say, this is my will, not that. Well, we know that that happens a lot. He says, I don't want you to lie. I want you to tell the truth. This, not that. Well, those kinds of things we get, but that's not what we mean when we say, I want more specificity. Because when we pray, Lord, your will be done. We want to know what your will is. We are probably thinking, okay, I got a big decision to make next week. Show me which one is the best one. I have a great opportunity over here and another one over there. I want you to show me which one you want me to have. Now the attitude of saying, I want God and His will to be done in my life in every specific way certainly is not a problem. But to expect that God has a specific job that He wants you to have a specific person to marry, a specific place to live, and a specific car to drive seems not to be what the will of God is about. And certainly third, in these questions that come up about the will of God, though we accept it, we understand it, we believe it, there are times that we just Wonder, is this really the will of God? Have you said, thought, or heard this year? Everything that we've been through in 2020, how can this be the will of God? How is it possible? 
a terrible, terrible thing for my way of thinking when someone is experiencing loss through death, especially a child that dies. And someone says, well, God just wanted to take them to be with him. Is that what we mean by the will of God? God chose to kill that person's child? See, that's why this subject of the will of God is so curious to us and yet also so very important. I want you to take a few minutes with me now and let's see if we can put some parameters, boundaries on the understanding of the principle of the will of God. I want to put them into this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. There are three parts to this discussion of the will of God. And it seems to me that these three parts are all in this verse. Therefore, I want you to see it. Part number one, the intentional will of God. Our verse says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. God's intentional will is that we be saved. When God created the Garden of Eden and he put Adam and Eve there, his intention I think, was to take them and bring them home with him at some time in the future. We could think of the Garden of Eden as God's garden growing his children. That was his intention. He never intended for them to sin. He never intended for the place to be corrupted. That was not his intention. His intention was that they would be saved. And it still is. Think about this. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus warns that if anyone causes a little one to stumble, he had said at the beginning of the chapter that he wanted all the children to come to him because of such is the kingdom of God. But if anyone offends one of them, it is better that a millstone be hanged around his neck and he be cast into the sea. Don't you cause a little one to stumble. And in verse 14, he then says, It is not the Father's will that these little ones be lost. You see, God's intentional will is that every child is in a safe relationship with him and will be saved. Every child is safe and will be saved. There's nothing physically good about abortion. Nothing morally right about having abortion legalized in this country. 
But God took care of the effect. And every single child aborted from this life has been transported to that life with God. God's intention, no child will be lost who dies because they are innocent. It is God's intention that every single person or every child grows up to be an adult who will be saved. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He intends that every child grows up to be an adult who will choose to be saved. That's his intention. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. He doesn't want. He doesn't desire. And he doesn't intend, never did intend, for any one of them to be lost. Third, it is his intention, and he intends this to be. In the words of the prophet in Ezekiel 18, in verse 23, Is it not the Lord's will that he who is wicked and turns from his ways will be saved? The point is, why, well, sure it is. God intends to forgive every single person who repents after they sin. That's his intention. Part one of the will of God is that God wants us to be saved. That's his intention. And Paul said, he wanted God to sanctify them completely. I tell you tonight, good people, God wants you to be saved. God intends for you to be saved. And everything that God has done and will do is for you to be saved. That's his intention. And his intention is where it all began, right there in the Garden of Eden. Number two, his intentional will now has to recognize his circumstantial will. Look at verse 23. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. The circumstantial will of God says this. My intentions were such... But circumstances changed. His intention was that they be saved and stay safe in the garden. But Adam and Eve changed. Their free will led them out of a safe condition. And now because of the change of circumstance, God's will is operating, understanding that there are circumstances that exist now that did not exist when he first created man in that garden. 
And so the circumstances of life, the things that we deal with every day, day in and day out, who we are as people, our spirit, soul, and body, every part of us, I think that probably has reference to our eternality, our mind, and our physical body. All three of those in this time and in this place, Paul was saying to them that God would preserve them. It may very well be that Paul was actually saying this. May God, because we're going to see in a minute the return of Jesus, may it be that the Lord will come while you are still here in your body and in your mind and your eternal spirit being saved for eternity. But the circumstances he's talking about are right now. They were living right then. He was writing to them about their lives. He's writing to you and me about our lives. And God's will is now operating in the circumstances of our lives. These circumstances, these situations, how is it that these things deal with the will of God? How is it that these things are a part of God's will? Does God cause sin to be? Of course not. But because sin happened, God's will operates in the circumstance of sin and evil. But the circumstance is that God's will operates in a general way, the same way for everybody. Matthew 5 and 45, Jesus said, God sends His rain on the just and on the unjust and causes the sun to shine on the good and on the evil. It doesn't matter whether you are good, evil, just, unjust. There are things that universally apply to every single one of us. And it is generally God's will, His circumstantial will, operates in that universal sense with every single person. But number two, this will of God circumstance also operates in the unique parts of each person's life. In Matthew 26, Jesus was preparing to go to the cross. And you recall the story. He was in the garden, and it was a painful time for him before being arrested. He knew what was coming. And three times he prayed this prayer, Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. It was his unique responsibility to go through that moment and those things. And the Lord's will was operating in His 
unique circumstances. All of us have unique circumstances. And God's will operates there. So see, the second part of the will of God is to understand the circumstances in which our world lives, the things that we confront, the things that are here. It was not here by His intention. None of this was by His intention. But because man messed up and the circumstances changed, now His will operates in the circumstances of our lives. Back to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. The third part of the will of God is the ultimate will. He said that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in this passage, in these words, was expressing the ultimate future. What is ultimately going to happen? Heaven. Maybe he was praying that Jesus would come while all of them were still alive so that they could just be taken off to heaven. Maybe that's what he was doing. The whole of Scripture closes in the book of Revelation with a prayer that says, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I've heard many prayers where people say, and Lord, will you come quickly? Can you pray a prayer like that tonight? Can you utter those words sincerely and honestly? Can you really say, Lord, I'm ready for you right now. They wanted it to be. They are sure that it will be. It's His ultimate will. You see, the circumstances have changed. What His intention was. But the ultimate effect of what his intention was never changes. Heaven still awaits the faithful. The ultimate will of God is based on the power of God. In Job 42 and in verse 2, the statement is, Can any purpose of yours be changed? A rhetorical question, no. Does God change His mind in the way that He operates? Absolutely. He's done it many times, and Scripture shows that. You remember when the people of God coming out of Egypt, they just murmured and complained and had a problem so many times in their lives. God just kept putting up with it and putting up with it. And finally, He said, that's it. I have had enough. Moses, you and Aaron, come over here and stand. I'm going to kill every one of them, and we're going to start over with you. And Moses said, Lord, don't do that. You brought them out of Egypt. You showed your great power. Now, don't give up on them now. 
all the nations of the world will laugh and say that you couldn't do with them what you intended. And the Bible shows that God changed. God decided not to kill all of them and start over. I certainly know that he could have, but he didn't. There are many times when it appears that God listened to the prayers and the thoughts of people, and, and he changed the way that he was going to operate. But he never changed his ultimate will. Because his ultimate will is based on his power. His ultimate will is something that cannot be changed. He might change his methodology. He might change in the way he does something, but he never changes what's going to be the end over here by what happened over there. His intentional will operates inside his circumstantial will, but his ultimate will is as solid as solid can be. God has a will ultimately to be fulfilled because it is something that we can't even imagine. It is something that is so great and so wonderful. It's far beyond anything that we can imagine in our lives because the spiritual just doesn't make sense. But it's been prepared. 1 Corinthians 2, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. His ultimate will is prepared, and it does not change. It's there. It stands sure, and it is waiting, because ultimately it is going to happen. And finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we learn that His ultimate will never changes because it is perpetual. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal, perpetual. The ultimate will of God will never change. His power and His preparation are guarantees that it is perpetual. So how does that fit 2020? These are our circumstances. God did not intend for this to happen. 
But because he made us as free will creatures, our will or the will of others have created the things we've lived with this entire year. Those circumstances. But God is not gone. God's not given up. God's not quit. He still holds out for us the ultimate package, the ultimate life, available to us never to change. For the day then, what have we learned? God's will is for us to go after, to pursue what is best for us. And if I am making myself all that I can be, I am making myself better for other people. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. And all of that is built on loving God first. Pursue what is best for you. I know that God's will is best for me. And God says, here's what I have for you. Here's the ultimate will. Ultimate possibility. Oh, I know you don't like the circumstances. He doesn't like them either. But they are circumstances that humans created for themselves in one way or another. But the ultimate never changes. He offers it. He makes it available. And it's always there. We can live through these circumstances but you know what the great message is? Even if we don't live through these circumstances, we can still live in eternity where there are no circumstances that man devises or changes. Isn't that a great message to hold on to during times like these. Thank you for joining us this evening. And I certainly hope that this has been an encouragement and a strength during difficult times. May God bless our country. May God bless our church. May God bless every one of us individually as we work to put ourselves inside the will of God. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.